0: After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, today is Christ the King Sunday. It's a feast day according to the ancient calendar. So we're going to feast tonight at a potluck. And even if you didn't bring anything, please stay after. There should be enough. And this is the time of year when we celebrate and remember that Christ is Lord of all. We, we sing wonderful songs like we sang tonight. We read scriptures like we uh, read tonight, where we reaffirm our belief that Jesus Christ is the sovereign over all creation, King over all. But what do we mean when we say that? If you look around at our life, at our world, uh, the values of the kingdom, the things Jesus seems to care about, don't seem to be fleshed out in this kingdom very well. So how could we possibly say that Christ is, is king? What do we mean when we say Christ is sovereign over every inch of life, as we affirmed in that lovely liturgy? Well, tonight's reading from the Gospel of John, I think, provides us some clues as we try to work out this very good question. Uh, Jesus is standing before Pilate, hours before being crucified, and a quick history lesson. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea from 36 to 39 A.D. He hung images of the emperor all around Jerusalem, demanded the Jews worship them, He slaughtered a group of Samaritans at Mount Gerizim, was so ruthless in his control that he was eventually called back to Rome to stand trial for leading too brutally. If you've studied anything about the Roman emperors, uh, to get on trial for leading brutally must have meant he was quite a fellow. He eventually committed suicide after being told to do so by the emperor Caligula. The historian Philo wrote that His venality, his violence, his thefts, his assaults, his abusive behavior, his frequent executions of untried prisoners and his endless savage ferocity were what marked his reign. Well, Pilate will not last long, but for now, Pilate appears to hold the keys to power. Jesus is in Pilate's headquarters He's prepared to die at Pilate's decree, and he thinks he'll have a little fun at the prisoner's expense and mock him a bit and just to let him know that he's in charge. And so he says, how ah, so you call yourself the king of the Jews. And the prisoner, who normally would never reply to a Roman emperor, says, well, actually, did you say in that of your own accord or uh, is that what other people are saying? <laughs> this is unlike any conversation that has gone down in Herod's headquarters. Pilate swiftly changes the subject. It's getting a little too personal. Prisoners don't ask things like that. What am I, a Jew? It's your own nation that have sent you here. What have you done? Now already, before we're barely into the story, we have a sense that there are two kinds of power in the room. There is the power of Pilate. The Roman eagle hanging behind him, the power of the soldiers, the power of stones and sweat and blood. And then there is this strange, mysterious power rising up from this prisoner standing before Pilate. What kind of power is this? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have been fighting That I might not be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom isn't from this world. If we're going to take a serious shot at working with this question of what does it mean to call Christ King? I mean, what do we really mean when we say he's sovereign over all of life? It has to start here. It has to start with an acknowledgement that there is a different kind of kingdom, that there's another kingdom. And it's not from this world. And this actually is something, if you're here tonight and maybe you're on a spiritual journey, if you're listening online and you, you're beginning to wonder about this whole faith part of life, this actually is a good place to begin. It's one of the things that you have to... That's little sound effects of the fourth grade class upstairs. It's, it's one of the things that you have to wrestle with right out of the bat is, is there one kingdom or is there two? Is this world all there is? If it is, Jesus is doing a lousy job of being king. There's an interesting uh, interview on, on a YouTube uh, between Ricky Gervais and uh, Stephen Colbert. And Ricky Gervais is a very funny British uh, comedian. And, of course, Stephen Colbert is Stephen Colbert. And th- they begin to talk about death and uh, Colbert starts to ask some very probing questions about what the comedian thinks about death. And he says, well, I'm an atheist. I don't think there is anything after this. And, and it's, it's actually quite fascinating because Colbert says, I'm a, co- a Christian. And he begins to cite the Nicene Creed on the night late show. <laughs> and he just goes through line upon line, line upon line. And they go back and forth, and Gervais starts to kind of poke faith, uh, poke fun at Colbert's uh, faith, and then at the end he says, "Well, what do you believe in? Where do you find uh, comfort?" And uh, Gervais says, "Dogs, not God. Dogs." And what's really interesting is what happens in the audience. When Colbert is trying to defend his faith, silence. When Gervais makes the dog comment uproarious applause. And it it just reminded me, those are the two ways to look at life, right? I mean, there's either another kingdom or there's not. There is soul or there is not. There is spirit or there is not. And that's the decision that you have to decide what you think about. I was listening to a lecture by a writer named Thomas More who is a, a spiritual writer and uh, writes a lot about soul. And he said this, he said, uh, after his book on soul came out, he was invited to speak to a class of medical students about how medicine could be shaped more to care for the soul, not just for the body. And he gave this impassioned lecture. And he's quite a gifted speaker. And I'm sure it was quite good. And then Moore says, at the end of the class, the professor stands up and says, Doctor, Dr. Moore, thank you for everything that you have done. Turns to his class and says, ignore the man. He knows nothing of what he's talking about. <laughs> there's either one kingdom or there's two. And Jesus introduces to Pilate this idea that there is another kingdom. Pilate says, so, so you're a king. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to to my voice. Now, Jesus will not spell out everything there is to say about the kingdom of God. I suppose he never does. The Sermon on the Mount would be a good place to start for the, his vision of the kingdom. But right here, he's sort of like beginning a dialogue with Pilate and getting him to think. And you get the sense that he actually is beginning to think maybe just a little bit that there might actually be another reality, another dimension, another kingdom, another world, that there might be soul. There might be something more than gun and roses. There might be something more than blood and power. And Jesus says, I'm here to tell you about truth. Now, the Greek word for truth means reality as opposed to uh, illusion. And Jesus essentially is saying, Pilate, I know everything around you looks real. I know the soldiers look real. I know that big eagle looks real. I know your throne looks real. But actually, it's really an illusion. And I've come here to talk to you about a deeper reality. A truer reality. Another way of being human. Learning to follow Jesus as king in part occurs when we begin to see this world as an illusion. That it is not a true narrative. That it is a better there is a better story. And Christ has come to tell it. Conversion is changing scripts. It is rejecting a false narrative for a better one. David Brooks, New York Times editorial writer, wrote an editorial called The Great Affluence Fallacy. And I'll just quote part of it, but it really made me think about this scene for some way. He starts, he says, In 18th century America, colonial society and Native American society sat side by side. The former was buddingly commercial, the latter was communal and tribal. As time went by, the settlers from Europe noticed something. No Indians were defecting to join colonial society, but many whites were defecting to live in the Native American one. They thought this was strange. Colonial society was richer and more advanced. Yet people were voting with their feet the other way. Later he says, I first read about this history several months ago in Sebastian Junger's book, Tribe. It's haunted me ever since. It raises the possibility that our culture is built on some fundamental error about what makes people happy and fulfilled. Let me read that last line again. It raises the possibility that our culture is built on some fundamental error about what makes people happy and fulfilled. What does it mean to embrace Christ as king? It means coming to the belief that the narrative of Pilate, the narrative of power, the narrative that drips incessantly from every vessel of social media is, in fact, not the truest narrative, that there are parts of it that are true. Yes, 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 yes. But that there is a deeper truth, a better story, and that true happiness and joy is found in embracing that story. So embracing Jesus Christ as king is changing scripts. And living by a better story. Jesus says, everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. The Greek word for a voice means a sound, a language, a musical tone, the wind, thunder, speaking in tongues, it's used all over the New Testament. There are so many voices in Pilate's kingdom. There are so many voices in the kingdom of this age, so many voices in this world that we live in. Jesus says to follow him as king, you have to learn how to hear his voice. Somehow you have to create enough silence and quiet and contemplation in your life to hear His voice. And I'm not saying that everything that is said in Pilate's world is wrong. Many things are probably good and admirable admirable and noble. But there is almost like another frequency, another tone, another wavelength, another language that we need to tune into if we are going to live with Christ as king. There's always been a debate in the scholarly world about texts like this and what the kingdom of God is like. And and some people think, well, the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's in your heart. Some people think the kingdom of God is in this world. We go out and work for it. I I think it's a false dichotomy. I I think it's a both and. If you learn how to hear his voice, however you hear it, you'll hear it differently than I hear it. If you learn how to hear his voice, he will call you to himself and he will call you into the world. You will discern how to know him. You will discern how to live out a vocation in the world. It's not either or, it's both and. This is how Jesus manifests his kingdom in this world. By speaking to his servants and inviting them to engage the world in his ways and in his timing. So what does it mean to call Christ king? It means to listen to his voice, however you hear him, and obey it. Now, I, I like to imagine at this point there's a long pause in the conversation as Pilate reflects on the haunting words of the prisoner before him. And maybe he's sitting there thinking, awakening for maybe the first and last time in his life to this prospect that there might be another kingdom, there might be a higher Power, there might be a deeper truth, and he's wondering, and he's sitting there and he's wondering all that. And then he slams the door shut. Now, what's truth? Now, I believe that there are legitimate questions about faith, and and I hope we're a a community where you can ask all of them. And I hope you can ask them time and time again, and I hope you're not rushed. And if it takes years, it takes years. I think that's a beautiful thing. But I will say this, too. There is a moment when the spiritual quest becomes personal and you can shut it down with yet another philosophical objection. And you know when you're doing it. You know when it's sincere. It's something you need to work through on your road to God. And you know when you are afraid of a higher power and you've just brought something up to change the subject. I listened to a lecture recently by a a psychologist. He was not a Christian. He was actually quite opposing the Christian uh, belief system. But he was talking about the difference between folks who believed in soul and folks who believed in, in, in no soul. And I don't know if he's right, but he said, fundamentally, he's British, and I won't imitate his accent, but he said, fundamentally, I believe that atheism is narcissism. It is the refusal of the ego to surrender to a greater power. It's something to think about. I suppose you can be an atheist because that's the most logically satisfying answer to life's hardest questions. Here's what I'm finding The more and more I listen and read and talk, most of the folks that I know that have walked away haven't even begun to wrestle with the hard questions. I mean, act as if they're the first people in 2,000 years to have a question, as if there was no one on the planet wrestling with the answer. I get sincere struggle. I respect it and I want to walk with you and we'll go, 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 go. But I think sometimes it's narcissism. It's I do not want to surrender to some power greater than myself. And if you're here tonight or listening online and and, and you're kind of wrestling with that, maybe you're not ready to go all the way to Jesus, but I would ask you to just just think about this for a moment. Can, Can you go at least to the point of recognizing there's another kingdom. Can you start there and then ask if there is anyone up there, if there is any reality to that other universe, would it or her or she or they reveal themselves to me and draw me closer to it? Start there. Great biography of C.S. Lewis, the great thinker, he talks about getting on a bus in Britain, and he started off as a, 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 an atheist and, and became a, a deist by the end of the bus ride. He made that shift, and then later on he worked his way from deism to theism and then theism to Christianity. Would you consider a bus ride like that? Would you even open up to being an agnostic? I can get it. I can get agnosticism. Atheism I can't get. I can't get how you can say, I know for sure there's nothing out there. That just seems presumptuous. How about saying, I'm not sure if there's anything out there. Now that I can respect. Could we at least move you to agnosticism tonight? (laughs) So Pilate says, well, what is truth? Well, I'll end with this. I've been praying a lot about you and the church in the coming year. It's it's been really good, lots of good conversations, working on Goals. thinking about what's going on in the culture and how do we relate. Uh, I read a great book over Thanksgiving called I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown about racial reconciliation. We're trying to teach on racial reconciliation with, with Chantel and Mary and, uh, and the fellows class. And we've run into a buzzsaw and it's gotten messy and yucky and beautiful and horrible and, ah, and all this crazy stuff. And so I'm thinking about this and, and we're trying to figure out where to go with it. So I have this dream. And in the dream, a spiritual friend from many years ago appears to me, most of my dreams aren't this clear, appears to me in the dream, and the dream is set in a very busy church context, and this spiritual friend says to me in the dream, go back and read Andrew Murray. Go back and read Andrew Murray. (laughs) Now, Andrew Murray was a South African pastor in the late 19th century, he wrote some wonderful books about prayer and abiding in Christ. I read many of them 30 years ago. And what I realized, this I think God was saying to me through my dream is, yeah, go ahead and work on your goals. Yeah, go ahead and figure out this class. Yeah, talk about culture. Listen to the podcast. Work on the budget. Yada, 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 yada. But you better not forget Andrew Murray. You better not forget that the essence of life in my kingdom is listening to my voice. Let's pray.